0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by WiseTail. Ever wonder how winning brands like Shake Shack, Chopped, and Torchy's Tacos scale their business and train employees, all while delivering an exceptional customer experience? They do it with WiseTail. Learn more at wisetail.com.
2: On this episode of Soul, I am so honored to welcome uh Mashama Bailey. I mean, she's like my my sister, one of my dearest friends uh in the world. Uh we drink a lot of whiskey together uh when we are together. So thank goodness we're not together right now. Uh uh probably the only benefit for uh, of COVID that we can see that our livers are are not spending time suffering, but if anyone doesn't know uh Mashama, she is from the Bronx. Uh, raised in Queens, but really comes from a Georgia. Oh, uh, is that well, Waynesboro, Georgia? If I remember correctly, yeah, Waynesboro, uh, Georgia. Yeah. Went, oh, wow, uh, is in Savannah. Worked at Prune, one of the still one of the best restaurants. Man, I've missed that restaurant so much. Oh my goodness! I used to eat there when you, when when you were there, and and now it's Prune, and uh, so amazing to be talking to Mashama and. After winning a James Beard Award, uh, I am so proud to have Mashama Bailey on Soul by Todd Richards. Thank you for taking time out of your very, very busy schedule to get online with us today.
3: I am cheesing. I am smiling from ear to ear. <laughs> I am so happy to be here. I really am. We tried to do this last week, but I. Forgot and so I'm I'm realizing that I need to learn how to use my calendar. So I'm getting a little bit better with that. Trying to show up for people when they need me to be there, you know. So I am just happy to be here, Todd. Thank you so
2: much. Uh, I mean, for you, you know, I don't hold anything uh, ever against you, you know. So so don't don't feel bad about it. I di- I just want to go back. I I want to go back. Um, to a time not too long ago, where you and Ted Lee were first met each other in the back of uh, our car driving from <laughs> was that Decatur Decatur uh-huh. Book Festival, uh-huh. and you all were having a conversation about each other and about food. Mm-hmm. And he's from Charleston, and you know, you're from you know from from Savannah area. But you all had this instant connection. And and everybody knows Ted Lee, uh, you know, he's very much a a, a, I would say a a Beastie uh, Boy-esque Southern guy, you know, who also, you know, grew up in New York. And how do you guys have this New York connection with these Southern roots? Like, where did this all come from?
3: Well, you know, when him and his brother wrote their cookbook, I was still living in New York. And I was mm. trying to figure out, you know, I was I was I knew I was moving to Savannah and I was trying to gather all the information I could before I moved to try to find out purveyors or 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 are just just folks to connect with. And I he they were running this sort of southern uh, merchandising, merch, food retail spot in New York City, which is kind of wild. But that was like a little bit right. before my time. That was a little bit before my time. Like that didn't happen. I didn't, I wasn't there. When they were, I was, I wasn't hip to them when that was up and running. And then, you know, the cookbook I had was like from Strands, and it was like, you know, a few years old. And I thought that they were, I thought these dudes were like in their sixties at the time I met <laughs> right? Them. But they're not. They were so young. No. And so, yes. um, I just think, um, for me, I just knew that I was. I was invading I was inf- I was infiltrating the south like mm-hmm. I like to use the fact that my mother was born and raised in the south as my kind of like get out of jail free card or like reenter the Southern culture (laughs) card. I'm like, well, yeah, my little pass. I'm like, well, I'm second generation removed from the South. So I can kind of, I get it. Right. You guys accept me. Right. Mm -hmm. So I like to do that. So when I met him, I just sort of, I just was like, sort of. Expressing this need to grasp the culture and also understand how to, how to not bastardize it. Right? Because I wasn't interested, Mm. I'm still not interested in bastardizing anything. I think Southern food is the antithesis, or I don't even know if that's a word. It is like, it is American food. It's American food to me. I agree. And I know there's different regions in America where a really big uh, country. But when you look back at what came here, what foods grow here and how those how those how those foods are used in southern cooking, it's all there's all these foods that's been here for three, four hundred years. And so I just think that it's just a very I think it's the most perfect reflection of what American cuisine is. So seeking him out was definitely, and being able to talk to him, I think is how we connected. And Savannah and Charleston are right up the road from each other. They're cousins, basically. they like mm-hmm. to call Savannah like the the, the 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 sister city or the sluttier city or whatever they like to call Savannah.
2: <laughs> very, you, your a, words, not mine. Okay, yeah,
3: and they <laughs> not mine either. But it's a very, um, it's very, um, they're very interconnected. Like the African American community is very interconnected, and so. Um, so it's nice to have conversations from people who are up there because the restaurant culture is a little bit different. Um, it's a few years ahead as far as um, the the purveyors that they use and just really um, connecting and identifying with the southern roots of the region. They They lead with that in mm-hmm. Charleston. So it's really nice to talk to him as a person who'd been cooking in Savannah for two years and um, for him to be so open with his information.
2: I I know you went to ICE uh, Mm -hmm. as a culinarian, but there's something more deep about you that I don't think that most people know. Mm -hmm. I I know I've seen it it, it, uh, in person, I've seen it uh, on video, but there's something that you really reach into and, and, and pun intended, reach deep into your soul that there's an expression of food that you're trying to tell people something about yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's a secret and it's something that you hold so tight and dear to you, but you keep giving us even more glimpses of it Mm-hmm. But the total story is not there. I know you're working on the cookbook and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what is it in your heritage that you're trying to portray to the world that we taste in every single bite?
3: I just, you know, I don't want, I'm just faking it till I make it. <laughs> I don't want to be abroad, you know, like I just feel like if I'm going to say something, I have to be very honest about it. You mentioned Gabrielle Hamilton earlier and um, Mm -hmm. Gabrielle, I worked under her and I really kind of came into my own. And I think if I would not have worked for a chef like that, that I wouldn't have this perspective. So I do owe a lot to her as far as the way she had me thinking about what I was what my intentions were and how I plan to contribute to this field and one of the things was I didn't want to like I said before I don't want to bastardize it and I was I I was asked very early on to look at who inspired me. And we didn't grow up in restaurant culture. I did not grow up. My parents couldn't Mm. afford it. When my mom graduated college in the eighties, well after I was born, she was making $13,000 a year. You know, my dad was a social worker and he was making not much more than that a year. They, you know, my dad had two jobs for most of my childhood. So we Mm -hmm. ate, we ate we ate well. We ate. Um, we ate clean. We ate seasonally. Even in my mother's own expression of it, like we weren't eating farm the table, but we ate light in the summer and we ate heavier in the winter. We ate cereal and granola in the summer and oatmeal in the winter. Our salads and chicken and pork in the winter and, and you know like she kind of balanced it for us that I don't even think she realized that that was what she was doing but I picked up on that very um early on as cuz when I started going to visit people's houses they would have something like fried chicken all the time or they would have you know oxtails <laughs> any time of the year and I we never ate like that we wouldn't my mother would not make oxtails in the summertime she just wouldn't you know because it was just not I
2: mean whose kitchen food. wants to be that hot <laughs>
3: All right, exactly. You want be in like, that
2: who in the wants summertime. to cook all
3: day like that? So my mother never really kind of, and so I think that was like these, and she was not a culinary person, but she fed her small family and she cooked for us and we didn't eat out a lot. So a lot of our food was home cooked, but she, um, but that was like one of the first things like, okay, I'm eating with the seasons, but I'm, I don't even know that that's what my mother's doing and then when i um then when i was asked in culinary school uh to talk about who i admired as a chef i was um i was thinking about you know tv chefs julia child the frugal gourmet um uh, those are like a jack Papin. like i watched you know the the cajun chef that used to come on um pbs um on saturday Uh,
2: justin (gasps) wilson
3: i said yes I was watching those people on a Sunday or a Saturday afternoon and that's how I learned about American food or French food and and that's where all these other different ingredients and pastry started entering my mind. So when I went to culinary school, I was like, "Well, I don't really have I don't those are the chefs that I identify with. Like those are the reasons why I think it might be cool to be a chef." And when mm. I want what I wanted to write about was my grandmothers and so he, my, my um, chef instructor would not let me do that. He was like, no, you have to find someone. And I found Edna Lewis. And I think my connection to Edna Lewis is a direct reflection of how I feel about my, my, my heritage and how I feel about my grandmothers mm. and how their food um, helps sustain me. So when I cook... And I in my uh, Ernest Ernest Macintosh, he comes in and eats at the restaurant and he says, I got that taste, right? He's like, You got that taste. Right. He's like that that taste that you know how much pepper to put, how much salt to put, how long to cook it down for. And and that's and that's what I'm going for. I'm going for it if my grandmother I want my grandmothers to be able to eat it and be able to say, okay, and reflect to it. And that's, that's the feeling. I'm going for that feeling, you know, not necessarily, Mm. not always the technique. I'm all, I'm, I'm, I, I, I employ the techniques in order to extract that feeling or in order to extract that taste. And I think that comes from just, um, that craving, that inner craving, and that desire that I have to fulfill those, those to to, to sustain those memories, you know. I,
2: I, I mean, I mean, my my uh, the hair, the few hairs I have on my arm are, are standing up over here because we share, uh, even you know uh, miles away, we share still so similar stories in, mm-hmm. in that reverence. Of, and you know how I feel about, you know, you know, Chef Lewis, uh, just all, all those who broke ground uh, mm-hmm. for, for mm-hmm. you know, people like yourself and myself, are living legends, like Joe Randall, who's in Savannah yeah, uh, totally. with you, my, you know, mentor uh, of Daryl Evans, uh, who is probably uh, more responsible for saving my life than, than most people would even know. But there is still something in your creativity, that I don't believe that even though everyone understands the depth of flavor that you bring, I don't think they understand how creative that you are, and how much you sit and ponder mm. uh, about how food is supposed to be delicious. Mm. And I know it's a process, mm-hmm. but I didn't. But what is your Process. I mean my process could be uh, putting on a whole bunch of music and a bottle of whiskey. My process can be putting the convertible down or jumping, you know, jumping on a motorcycle and and riding, mm. you know, up and down the highway. What is your process to get to that creativity?
3: I gotta get outside. I gotta I um, it's so weird because I'm not I I hate bugs, I hate the heat. Um, I hate all of it. I do. I fucking hate living here, like <laughs> from a weather perspective, right? Because it's just like not natural for me to sweat this much, and so, but I kind of have to. I have to get out and clear my head. I I love to go to like go to the beach and walk in the morning. Like that's one way that I can kind of sort my stuff out. Um, I'm not a runner. Like I try to run and, 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 exercise and do all that stuff. And it just doesn't stick, but I can mm-hmm. walk as I can walk all day. And so for me, I think, um, when I have something heavy, I need to get out. Like yesterday, there was something heavy that happened and I was like, okay, this morning I got to get out. I got to get out and I have to kind of work it out. Um, I another thing that I so I kind of have to clear my head right um, walking is one way uh, listening to jazz, I find that I'm the older I get um, the more I'm finding I'm much more productive when I um, mm. listen to jazz music music or classical music. So I'm starting to get into that in like a deeper way. I was into it by association, but now I'm starting to get a little deeper with it. Um, so that's another thing. And I, I kind of think about what, like what the ingredient is, right? And what goes with that ingredient. Early on, I used to use the flavor Bible a lot. I used to um, say if I, I'm like, all right, we got watermelon. Okay, what goes good with watermelon? Right. All right, I got pecans, I got I got peanuts, I got ham, I got basil, I got, you know, and it's like, okay, can I turn that into something, right? Or, you know, my mom used to make red rice and we have, we're in tomato season, so how do you make red rice? What do you put in it? All right, I don't want to put ham in it, but maybe I'll smoke these peppers and then those peppers will turn it red and then I'll have the smokiness from those peppers. And then I can add okra to that. So then I have like okra and tomatoes. Right. And so like, I just kind of like try to figure out like how I can take one ingredient, take something classic and take one ingredient that you don't normally see with it, but it's growing right next to it. Or, you know, Mm. it's been paired with it, but it's I'm pairing it in a different way. I just like to take that one thing that makes it just a little bit different from everyone else's, and and that's kind of that's kind of how I look at it. I look at what's available, and how can I make that one thing just a little different? I have a sous chef that I've been working with for the last it is September to be four years, and I've never wow. worked with anyone that's fantastic. World. That's crazy, right? Wow, I've that's never, fantastic. Yes. I've never worked with anyone that long before. And let me tell you, the first 2 years we were like <laughs> I hate you. I love you. I hate you. I love A you like,
1: water, right? Oh,
3: listen, the first 2 years cuz he was very he's coming, he comes from New York. He he's very technically mm-hmm. driven. Um, you know, he knows every single chef on living and dead. He knows all like he is like so intellectually Um, equipped to run a successful kitchen. And I'm not like that. I forget names. (laughs) I forget, I forget times. (laughs) I forget, I forget information. I forget to share information. So like, I am very, very, very different from him. But I think in the last, over this pandemic, what has happened is that he I'm, I'm trusting him more. Number one, I'm letting him in more. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm letting you understand me a little bit more. And I think he's actually relaxing. Like he, like we're both kind of like, you know, shifting a little bit more to kind of like fit with each other. And I think we always fit but now we're like really vibing. So if I throw one thing out, he throws another thing out. And then it's like, you kind of forget whose idea it was, you know, you kind of forget where the idea started. But doesn't that
2: make the best kitchens?
3: I think so. I think so.
2: Yeah. But one thing you said though, is that you're relaxing more and, you know, you know, probably even offline off, you know, off the podcast, um, you would relax more and when we come back after the break i want to just talk about that just a little bit more in depth and then go into some some different things about where we are in restaurants and beard awards and stuff like that you're listening to soul by todd richards
1: this episode is brought to you by wisetail Ever wonder how winning brands like Shake Shack, Chopped, and Torchy's Tacos scale their business and train employees, all while delivering an exceptional customer experience? They do it with Wisetail. Wisetail is a state-of-the-art learning management system built to engage and empower your workforce. With a modern user interface and intuitive course-authoring capabilities, Wisetail has helped hundreds of businesses achieve their growth goals. Plus, Wisetail has experts on call to help you bring your vision to life with their world-class client success team. Come see how Wisetail's award-winning training platform can go to work for you. As a special offer, HRN listeners are eligible for their first month free. Learn more at wisetail.com slash HRN. That's wisetail.com slash HRN. W-I-S-E-T-A-I-L dot slash HRN. Terms and conditions apply, visit their website for more details. So, we're back, so
2: by Todd Richards, with my greatest friend, Mashama Bailey, and we were talking about our, her creative process in the restaurant and you know how she's now developing even trust and relaxation and uh, mashama and i know our, uh, ourselves very well and the fact that we don't trust a lot of people mm. um uh, we have uh, had conversations uh you know between ourselves uh, that most people will never ever know not even on this podcast even know it's a public forum because we have explicit trust amongst ourselves but i am pushing Mashama just a little bit because I believe that there's a side of Mashama that people really need to know in order to really grasp how how her brilliance and not only her brilliance, about just how great of a person that she is. And I wanna talk about the Beard Award, the James Beard Award, you know, winning that award mm-hmm. in the sense that when I saw you stand up, mm. I saw an entire race of people. I saw an entire group of people stand up behind you. Mm. I saw um, the the the. I saw your shoulders drop some. Mm. Um, I, I saw that you felt validated. Mm. Uh, I saw that you saw uh, felt uh, your shoulders dropping, and the validation was about not only about yourself but about your family, the sacrifices they made mm-hmm. uh, for you to get to where you are. That that someone recognized you for everything that you have done, and and what your family has done, and what you want to do for the people moving forward. And I know you're writing writing a book. And w- when is your book? When is it released?
3: So the book is coming it's out coming um, soon. January 12th, and I'm writing it with my business okay. partner, uh, John Morisano. it's called Black, White and the Gray.
2: All right. Um, but when I saw your shoulders just go down and that validation, and as a chef, it's already difficult because we're kind of insane. We put something on the plate, our art on the plate, and then we send it out and we never get to receive it again. But just tell me about the steps uh, in your mind, if you can remember. Because for me, I would be a total blank. Walking mm. to that stage um, and just just that feeling of walking up there.
3: Mm. I, um, it, was, it was surreal. You know, I kind of had a feeling I was gonna win, honestly, and not before that day. I didn't think that I was gonna win before that well, day. Well, shit, let me you tell you something.
2: I, I, if if you, if there was a Las Vegas bet on that, <laughs> and I had a million dollars, I would have put a million dollars on it. You know, I would have put a million dollars on it. I think you know, twenty twenty. You know, Peter yeah. said I, yeah. I would have put a million dollars on it, yeah. one hundred. But see, I, I Melissa, my wife, knows that. I said yeah. she said, Are you gonna watch? This? I said, No, Michelle I'm gonna win. What the hell
0: I need to watch? This? <laughs>
3: you know? <laughs> I had a feeling, you know, I was nominated with a lot of the same people as I was nominated with uh the previous year. Uh, you know, everybody mm-hmm. was kinda looking at me with this little twinkle in their eye, you know, and not really wanting to tell me mm-hmm. anything. I wasn't trying to look at people too hard. And so, you know, right. I wish, honestly, and I've never told anyone this. I wish that I would have just sat there and like heard, heard it. You know, I feel Mm. like it came, they said my name and I jumped up and I wish that I would have (laughs) sat there and just let it wash over me for just a second and let it just settle, just let it sit for just a second. And I jumped Mm. up and I like, and I was, and I was so happy because you know, I, I burned a candle at both ends. I have people who take care of the restaurant when I am not there. And they still want to do it the way that I want it done. And I think that I owe, I owe a lot to that. I owe a lot to them because they allow me to do these other things that put me in the face of something like a James Beard foundation. So I think it's kind of, I think it's awesome for me to win that award because I think that award represents the entire staff that helped me get there. So me walking up there, I so saw, I saw, you know, my dad was sitting right next to me and he's just was, like squeezing my hand the whole time. And then I jump up and I didn't have anything prepared. I didn't have anything written down. I didn't know what I was going to say. I think, I think I, and then I think um I wrote down like three names and then they called my name and I went up there and I just kind of said those three names. And I even missed, I even said, so I I walk up to the stage and I see everyone and I'm kind of floating up there and I'm like, okay, okay, okay. I get up there and I'm just kind of like, I can't believe it because I am, you know, one of the only black women that have been recognized for cooking in this country, period.
2: In the world. And we
3: all, yeah, (laughs) in the world. And we all know how deeply embedded Black women are in food, period. Right. And so I just knew that I was given an opportunity to really not only be, not only change the conversation, but be in the room, be in the room where the conversation is being had. And so, you know, I think that that for me was really the most touching part because I knew I knew what it took to get me there. I knew how many people had to work and believe in me in order for this to happen. And then I understood that I was now I was now crossing over into a position to actually bring other people through, you know? Bring people along with. Wow. And so That's the that's the the important part. But now it's like, fast forward, it's COVID and there's no awards and it's all kind of weird and online and, you know, George Floyd killing and Breonna Taylor. And like we have all this other stuff where people are really talking about, um, you know, racial equality and, and rebuilding structures and all this other stuff, which is way overdue timely nonetheless but way overdue but it makes it just magnifies our voices Todd like it gives us you know people who were like listening before but felt like their arms were tied and they didn't have enough room to kind of let us take up some of it now they are stepping to the side and letting us kind of get in there in a real way that's gonna make change
2: you know I, I i want i want to talk about that um you know with you about you know all the points that you just brought up and you know you all were the gray was closed since march yeah. and you all recently just you know just reopened and during that time uh, you know you're writing a book you're mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to pay employees, you know, mm-hmm. like every restaurant, you know, when to reopen. But mm-hmm. you also then have to navigate still how to be black mm-hmm. uh, in a country that has been trying to figure this out for centuries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there is an inherent responsibility that might be bigger than a Beard Award mm-hmm. or a or a restaurant award or, or just operating a restaurant that we carry and that sense that when I say, I saw your shoulders, that, that the burden uh, of being that you know, black person and most certainly even more in depth of black female that won you know, that award, what pressures do we have on ourselves moving forward? Um, in supporting things like Breonna Taylor mm. and bringing up, you know, I had uh, Breonna Riddick, you know, who is a, a young uh, up-and-coming chef here in Atlanta uh, mm. on on podcasts, and he was super excited. I mean, if she can walk to Savannah to, to work with you mm. for two days, she will walk <laughs> down there. What more responsibility do we have now to the next generation in order to find Better pathways for equality moving forward.
3: Mm. Mm. I think, um, yeah, I think it's heavy, and I think that uh, you know, our my blackness is different from your black, yeah, my black experience is different from your black experience, and different from um, Brianna's black experience, right? And I think um, what we kind of need to do is make ourselves a more, a little bit more available for each other, um, continue, like Mm -hmm. uphold the standards for one another. Because I think that, um, I know for me, I put up with a way more stuff from, Black folks that I work with than I would from white folks that I work with, right? And that's because I feel Mm -hmm. like there's not a lot of opportunity. There's not as much opportunity for us as there would be for someone who is not Black or a person of color. And so I think instead of me, you know, quote unquote, putting up with I need to start to really educate and instruct and inform and give them the the right information in order for them to make conscious decisions on how to grow themselves, grow grow their career. I want to work with, I work with Black folks anyway, but I want to work with Black people. You know, like I want to grow in my business with black folks. And that hasn't really happened yet. Like I don't have a I don't have a black front of house manager. You know? And for me, that's something that I I ponder and I struggle with and I try to figure out like how to get that type of person in the building and and get them to work with us, right? Are they gonna feel comfortable working with a all white staff or a, a you know all white management team, you know? So it's like getting more black voices in our spaces and, and 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 holding them accountable to the to the to the industry standard that we wanna create for ourselves, I think is something that we owe to ourselves. Um And I think that's one that's, but I do think that's a lot of pressure, right? Like I'm already beating myself up because I'm like, oh, well, I don't have this and I don't have that. I don't have this this resource on on my team and I don't have that resource on my team, but there's no reason for me to beat myself up about it. But I just know that we need more of that and we need to be, we need to listen to each other more. We need to support each other more and we need to give each other the right information in order to... in order for us to pursue our careers in a a very professional way. And I don't think we do that all the time.
2: Well, certainly, you know, the crab in the barrel mentality is is, is over with, I I believe, for the most part, um, that the lack of opportunity uh, really only uh, changes when we provide more opportunity. Uh, That's why I... uh, you know, really wanted to do this yeah. podcast and have people like yourself on and, and Brianna Riddick on and everyone else who who is on them because I believe that people need to understand you all in more in depth of character and not just the characters that they might see in the restaurant as a chef walking around or as a person they might see on Netflix or things like that. More really understanding that you all, are just like myself, we are people too. You know, and that's what's really in, important to me. We only have a few more minutes here, but I really want to, you know, just wrap up and just, you know, just see, you know, you know, really one question that I get asked all the time personally, and I feel like a chef of your stature might be able to assist in this uh, in this answer is really what is perfection in food? Because I know what the pursuit of perfection is, and I'm sure you're going to probably have the same answer that I give everyone. But as an award winner, a person who strives, and also a person who's now saying that, that, that you're looking for even more accountability in the business, how do we develop this sense of perfection in this food industry in order to make the playing field more of an equitable table for all of us to eat at?
3: Yeah. Wow. I feel like I'm right. I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm right in that moment. I think this pandemic has really brought people, um, brought people to the table asking for what they need from the people, from the, from their employers. This is a hard business. We work all the time. We develop, we develop, families within our restaurants in order for us to have a sense of community because we are not um we are not around our own inherent family and friends and so I think certainly um, not no certainly not now right and so I think (laughs) that um so I think that what perfection is I don't think perfection is obtainable I think perfection is glimpses and moments like you have a you have a Peach that tastes perfect, or you have a tomato that is a brilliance of color, or you pull that fish fumet exactly when you were supposed to, and it tastes delicious, right? So I think there are moments of perfection in cooking where you get it right where you want it to be, and that food and that plate is exactly what you were looking for, and then then you're then you're trying to chase that pursuit. For as long as the dish is on the menu, you know, like <laughs> right. been trying to right. measure it down to grams so you can <laughs> so you can give it to your line cook so he can have he can have that sense of perfection. So I think that I think that there are glimpses of perfection. There's a glimpses of that chase that we kind of um have as cooks and chefs that we are always going to be looking for that, you know, that satisfaction to be perfect or have a perfect dish or a perfect ingredient. So I think that's just part of the, what bites us into being in this industry is that we just want to chase that feeling. Um, But I think as far as equity is concerned, I think that We as people who work in the kitchen or work in the front of house, and we choose this as a career, not as a moment, but as a career, I think we need to be heard. And I think we need to be honest with those people that we bring in the kitchen and we say, listen, I don't have a lot of money, but this is what I can do for you, or... I I I I want you I want to grow you into this position and these are the steps that you need to take. I think the better we can start to articulate those things to our staff, the more that they will trust in us and help build with us until they understand the you know until the relationship has run its course, right? And you're not going to have a lot right. of that, but I think that just validating people, not taking advantage of people. It's easy to feel taken advantage of in this industry. Like you are tired, you're hot. Now we're wearing masks in the kitchen and in the restaurant. Right. Suffocating. Of, suffocating. <laughs> so it's like you got these. you got this other external thing that's kind of like. So I think listening to people. Not letting them run over you, but listening to them and understanding what they need from you is important. And I think from there is where the collaboration starts. And then you start to have this perfect marriage of thoughts and ideas that are all going towards one goal.
2: Mm. Certainly, I, uh, you know, share your sentiment there that the one goal, uh, when it comes down to it, at the end, we feed people. And and we bring people together. And uh, when we stop believing in that and we believe that we're beyond that, then we're no longer uh, chefs, we're production. And no one wants to be, I certainly, I don't want to be a, just a producer of food. Um, I want to have a platform where we bring people closer together and ultimately change the world one bite at a time. Where, where can everyone find you on, on social media? Because you you're worldwide I mean sometimes you're in France. sometimes yeah, you're in, uh, oh. uh, on the moon sometimes sometimes you're you know on, on over there with Tesla you know flying to <laughs> Mars where, where can everyone where can everyone where can everyone find you on on social media? So
3: um, my Instagram is at um, Mashama Bailey and my Twitter is the gray MB. And so um, that's my, that's my, I'm only on those two platforms, but that's my, um, that's my information. And
2: like I, I I'm going to tell anyone to be honest with you. I'm going to be honest with anyone. If you need to reach Mashama, Please do it multiple times, you know? <laughs> you know or, 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 or contact me and, 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 and I will I will I will be a person who yeah. intercedes on your, Listen, on your don't I'll do be the vetting process for you.
3: Don't be shy. <laughs> don't be shy about blowing up my right. phone or my, my DM or whatever, right. don't be shy because I will, I don't know what's wrong with me. I see it, I acknowledge it, I understand it, I register it, and then somebody will put something shiny in my face and I forget all about it. And I just gotta, like, get better at, like, just, you know, responding in the moment. But,
2: you know... I, I, I can tell you that 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 from my perspective and from uh, Melissa's perspective, we love you just the way you are. So, oh. Know, if you change too, it don't, don't 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 change on 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 our our account huh. uh, unfortunately we we are we are going to have to close out here uh i I, I am I'm looking for the bottle of whiskey so i can have a, a toast uh yes. to you it, you know it's going to be offline from here and hopefully we will uh, get to see you real real soon It's been too long already and, yeah. and uh, time together is never enough.
3: So I thank you,
2: my my dearest friend. Um, And with with tears in my eyes, we're signing off for Soul uh, by Todd Richards. Talk to everyone soon. Thank you. Soul by Todd Richards is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. For our freshest content subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio you can also find us at facebook.com heritage radio network heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of Food World's most innovative community? Subscribe to shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.